to Revelation chapter 13. Obviously, before we get started, I want to let you know I'm in drinking here from the uh, the Mickey mug, Mickey minus his top half. So this is his bottom half, his feet. You know, obviously having to reach to the to the back of the of the coffee mug inventory, drinking from mugs I haven't drank from in quite a long time, and I'm realizing I've missed Mickey. And this is an excellent mug, and he is going to become a part of my um, regular repertoire. Revelation 13, like I said yesterday, may be the most hotly contested uh, passage or book or chapter in the whole Bible. And the beast that rises from the sea, the beast that rises from the land. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 18. Let me read those for us. And then let's pray, and let's get to it. All right, Revelation 13, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the beast and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image of the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Heavenly Father, we, we do need fresh eyes and faith from your Holy Spirit to, to begin to wrestle um, in a faithful way with what you're telling us in your word this morning. And so help us, Lord. We need your help in this. These things are hard. And so we submit our time to you and your word. Ask that it would return to us, not null and void, but it would accomplish everything for which you have sent it forth. In your name we pray. Amen. If you weren't with us um, the past couple of times, you might want to, to, to go back and drop into those because it'll provide a context for where we where we are. But remember in Revelation 12, the great red dragon comes forth to wage war with the church. And John's pretty clear, it's pretty implicit in the passage, even explicit, that this dragon is Satan, Lucifer, a fallen angel. And here in chapter 13, we're seeing these two beasts who are come, one out of the land, one out of the sea, who are coming forth and doing the bidding of Satan. So Satan is sort of stands behind the persecution of the church. And here he is talking about the two instruments that he uses to wage war against the church. And this would be the church for all eras and times. And last week we talked about the first beast is undoubtedly meant to stand for Rome, um, but not merely Rome, but for all um, forms of the state, of government, of empires, of kings who would come after it, who would persecute and oppress Christians and the church. But Rome is how they would have understood that. But this idea that the beast suffers a wound and then is healed, it just means that there is a 
even when one beast, quote unquote, empire ruler is put down, whether it be Hitler or Caesar or Stalin or uh, Mao Zedong or whoever, there's going to always be in this age someone to rise and take his place or its place. Well, now we come to the second beast, and it also is an ally of Satan, an instrument used by Satan. And as we're going to see, I think this represents, um, it has a religious nature, a religious tone to it. And I think this is meant to symbolize false religion, false philosophies, um, things that trains of thought that come in to deceive the people of God. And so, so on one hand, you have this bold front opposition in the form of the state. And then secondly, you have the instruments of culture society, which lead people astray. And here you kind of have, you see what John's doing. You have this unholy triumvirate, okay, which is meant to run parallel to the Trinity. So we understand with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, God and God in one being three persons, that there is an, what we call, an, theologians call an economic subordination, which means that while each of the members of the Godhead are equal in, in being, in essence, they are three different persons or personalities, and that there is, a, there is a subordinated function. So this is why we hear Jesus saying things like, I came to do the will of my Father. I can't act apart from my Father. Uh, the Father has sent me. Those the Father has given me, I will not cast away. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. And so, um, and then we see that the Holy Spirit um, is, is sent as the presence of Christ into the lives of believers, while the Father is the one who is ruling, he is decreeing, each of the members of the Trinity have a different function while being of the same being in essence. And so John is trying to help us understand that this is, this is the nature of these two beasts and um, the red dragon, that, that the first beast is the state, the second beast is um, this religious deception, false teaching, false religion, and that, that they're both, Satan stands behind both of them, but they're, they're operating in this, again, this, this triumvirate of evil that parallels the Trinity, and that this is going to be the pattern all the way up between now until the second coming of Christ. Now, the, the mark of the beast, we have to think about how, again, no small amount of conjecture. I, I remember back in the 70s, there was a, there was a, um, a trilogy, a movie trilogy called The Omen, where a young boy, Damien, grows up to realize that he is, in fact, the Antichrist. And he discovers this by this tattoo, 666, that's emblazoned on his scalp. And, and again, this, this was sort of the, at the beginning of the end times fervor. And, and ever since, it's what is the mark of the beast? Is it a code? Is it the computer chip? Is it those sorts of things? Which I think, again, entirely misses the point because we're not asking... What I think we should be asking is how would the readers in Revelation 13 understood this mark, okay? And I think, I think to me, it's, it's, that helps us, okay? Because these seven churches, remember, were all being persecuted by Rome to varying degrees for their refusal um, to worship Caesar. So remember, every town had a, had a shrine to Caesar. It was part of the customary duty of every 
person in the Roman Empire to, to pledge their ultimate allegiance to Caesar. And this would happen in a very public way once a year um, where everyone would come and genuflect before a statue of Caesar or, or, a alt, or an altar or an offering. And you could do whatever you wanted to the other 364 days, right? But you had to make it clear that, that on this day that ultimately Caesar was superior over, over everything. And for them not to do this would really mark them off, right? Um, they would be unable to be a part of a trade guild. They would be un unable to participate in the regular economic activity of the empire. In a sense, they would be um, unable to buy and sell, right? Now, they wouldn't necessarily receive a, a physical mark for this, but there might they wouldn't be able to show their papers. They wouldn't be able to show their uh, their bona fides to show that, hey, I really do, I'm a Christian, but I really do acknowledge Caesar um, as Lord. And so I think we need to understand, okay, that's, I think, how they would have understood this from the beginning, and that those who are marked off for the Lord remain faithful, and they don't worship Caesar. Those who are marked off by Satan, in a sense, okay, and don't have allegiance to Jesus, they're, they're, they're gonna worship Caesar. But we need to compare this mark, I think if you turn back to Revelation 7, it's being contrasted, this mark of the beast, so to speak, is being contrasted with the mark of the spirit, okay? And we talked about this a good bit back then, but chapter seven, verse three, it says, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our Lord God on their foreheads and remember we talked about how this sealing is to preserve the souls of God's people it's not a physical mark in fact it's the Holy Spirit and that those who belong to the Lord have received this sealing of the whole Holy Spirit well John's just simply telling us that those who don't belong to Christ are also sealed or also marked metaphorically um, by the beasts that they belong to him and, and the point here is that every person in the history of planet Earth um, has one of these two marks. Either we are marked with the seal of the Spirit, or we are marked as belonging to the evil one who has been given dominion for a time over the affairs of the Earth. We either have the mark of the Lamb or the mark of the beast, right? And the, the idea is that um, those it's very clear here, those who don't have the mark of the beast, okay, those who don't pledge allegiance, okay, to the state or to any, or to something outside of Christ, those people, um, those who do, I'm sorry, the, yeah, those who have the mark of the beast, okay, or those who don't have the mark of the beast, okay, have the mark of the lamb, that would be Christians, we are going to incur the wrath of the beast, okay, meaning uh, we're going to be persecuted for our faith, we are going to be oppressed, we're going to be harassed we are going to be marginalized okay so if you have the mark of the lamb you'll incur in a sense the wrath of the beast but here's the deal if you have the wrath if you have the mark of the beast you're going to incur the wrath of the lamb see and that's that's the whole point of revelation you either have one of the two marks and all of us are going to experience death pain suffering and wrath but who's right um and and john's telling us over and over again, for those who are in Christ, who've been sealed by his Holy Spirit, you may receive the, receive the wrath of this world and of Satan and of his minions, okay? But you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and safe, okay? 
On the other hand, you may be a totally at home with the world and your ultimate allegiance is here and you may have the mark of the beast and are fully accepted and free to do whatever you want here in this life, but you will incur the wrath of the lamb. So the question is, which will we incur? The wrath of the beast or the wrath of the lamb? And that's the contrast John is holding up for us. And I think that kind of gives us a clue as to what's what's happening here. Now, interesting, if you go back to verse 18, it says, This calls for wisdom. Calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, so what is that about? So, Pastor Paul, understand about the mark of the beast and the mark of the lamb and sealed it. But what is this 666? Well, again, no end of debate here. Um, and so... There's a couple couple ways to think about this. Okay, there in ancient near ancient Middle East there was a, a science, a way of writing called gematria. Okay, and essentially it was a I don't want to say it wasn't like a secret code, but it was more like a numbering system that corresponded to letters in the Greek alphabet, and it was just a shorthand way um, to to write down names and numbers and don't have time to go into the, the whole science of this and how it worked but basically it was a pretty standard okay um, way of uh, of communicating in shorthand names and places and people if you understood the way the the system works so if you think about uh, Matt Damon in the movie Martian and he's learning how to communicate with this hexagonal uh, decimal system it's kind of like that we're not familiar with it but people then were and undoubtedly, I think they would have known immediately who this referred to. Probably the most common, okay, um, uh, interpretation. Or I mean, again, it's not without problems. All these have problems, but but it's probably Nero. So if you if you alliterate his name according to Greek, these numbers and and the Greek alphabet, it does come out to Augustus Nero or Caesar Nero. But again, there's not consensus about that. Um, there, there are those, and, and I, and I kind of leaned a little more in this camp, who really see this number as symbolic, okay? That just as seven is the number of completeness, and, and the idea of six is the number of incompleteness, right? And so as, as, as we are marked by the Holy Spirit, found in the people of God, um, we are part of the, you know, the seven churches, we are part of the seven full nature of God and his people, um, the number 666, I think, could very possibly designate this idea of incompleteness, okay, not belonging to God, okay, um, and this the three sixes is sort of this counterpart, again, standing for this unholy triumphant. But again, I think it's important not to be dogmatic about these things. Um, I do think that for every day and age, um, it's still the same. Am I marked by the Lamb or am I marked by the... By the beast, um, and am I? Um, there's a push here to find my full sense of identity and completeness met in Christ. Okay, not somewhere else. Or it could be Nero, right? And the people then at that time would have immediately understood. Well, he's talking about Nero. There's 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 Satan. There's Rome, and then there's one of his instruments of false religion, Nero. And that could very well be. That's what Don Carson says is probably what he believes is likely the case. But that doesn't mean that it's not pertinent to us now. It just means that for every day and age, um, the issue is the same. Where is my ultimate allegiance? Who have I been marked by? 
and there's always going to be a Nero, right? Whether it's Stalin, whether it's Hitler, um, whether it's Mao Zedong, whether it's, you know, other despotic rulers in the history of the church or the world, and such as it will be, and as we said yesterday, that ultimately at the end of time, um, will all this culminate more fully and completely in a person or a state that will usher in the time when God's people will be persecuted and Christ will return? I think that's likely, okay? But I think it would be speculation to spend all of our time trying to think about who is this singular person. I think it it's it, there's a fulfillment and a manifestation for every age of the church. And then at the very end of the age, when Jesus returns, there will be a final embodiment of evil, and whether that's in a person or a kingdom or a state or government, we obviously don't know. But I hope that sheds a little bit of light. Again, go listen to Don Carson's sermons. That link should be posted here on here on the Facebook page somewhere. Um, Scotty Smith's book, Unveiled Hope, G.K. Bill's commentary on the book of Revelation. But we're going to be in Revelation 14 tomorrow, same time, same station. Let's pray. Lord, these things can be complex, but at the same time, let us not miss the obvious. All of us will experience the wrath, either the wrath of the evil one or the wrath of um, the lamb. And we know that if we experience the wrath of the evil one, it is only for a short time. It is only in this life. It is only our physical bodies because our souls are bound up, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to take comfort in that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. See you guys tomorrow.